Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take the adventure with, us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. Thank you all for joining us. We're going to do Classical World at the Movies today. Um, it's going to be a fun one, an interesting one, certainly. But as always, if you would be so kind as to leave a lovely comment or high rating on whatever platform you are using to listen to this, that would help us a lot and help get the word out. So without further ado, let me welcome to help us discuss today's film, the one, the only, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Good to be back with you, Sean. Well, the crowd is happy to see you. So, Gary, today we're going to talk about a film called Xanadu. Yes, that Xanadu. It's kind of become a cult classic. Um, it's a 1980 movie, uh, and the film starred Olivia Newton-John and Gene Kelly. Uh, it is, um, suffice it to say, a, uh, a film that has had renown... Uh, but not necessarily for good reasons. It's by many considered one of the one of the worst movies, um, maybe if not ever made, certainly of that decade of that era. Um, it is a fantasy musical. Now, the interesting thing about it is, it is in a sense not so much a sequel, but a in the same universe as a film we've we've reviewed before called Down to Earth, uh, which was the story of a muse who comes down to earth to help someone uh, produce a popular play about the muses. And interesting, this one is a muse who comes down to earth who helps someone open a club. The only way I was thinking about Gary is to explain what the plot was, because there really isn't much of one. It's basically no. these, this muse meets a guy on the beach and he falls in love with her. And she had been here before having met a different guy who was in a big band in the 40s. So this takes place in 79-80. So it's, the film comes out in 1980. So 79-80. And uh, the, the star of the earlier uh, sequence, or should the, the person that the muse met earlier, was Gene Kelly, the famous Gene Kelly, the legend, the Hollywood legend, the dancer, uh, American in Paris, singing in the rain, you can go on and on. So he plays the older guy that had met her back in the 40s. And Michael Beck, who uh, many might know from a film, another cult film called The Warriors, uh, plays the modern-day love interest. And so she meets him, and then by some strange coincidence, he meets, Michael Beck meets Gene Kelly, or Michael Beck's character, and uh, they decide to open a club. And that's pretty much the movie. Um, so Olivia and John is Kira, uh, so Tripsakari, Michael Beck is Sonny Malone, and Gene Kelly is Danny McGuire. So there's your story. And as a listener, that pretty much sums up what this film is about. That's the only thing that occurs in the film. There's no subplots. There are no characters, no character development. There's no, there are no twists. It's just 
these two people meet early in the movie and these two other people meet early in the movie. And it turns out all three of them have a connection and they open a club and there's lots of dance sequences. Was that, is that about right, Gary? <clears throat> well, pretty much. Um, let me read you the synopsis that Netflix has. Well, that'll be interesting. For their DVD. Sure. Xanadu is concerned. Xanadu is concerned about angst-ridden artist Sonny. Zeus, you know, who's the king of the gods, dispatches winsome muse uh, Kira to Earth to inspire the painter because uh, Sonny is a painter. Kira hooks up um, Sandy, Sonny with a musician Kira, um, Boyd, decades earlier, and the trio revamps a vacant building into a disco roller rink. And, uh, yeah, Gary, I have to ask you: Are you telemarketing on the side? Because I hear I heard the phones in the background. No, no. Okay, no telemarketing. All right, just to, for the listener, don't worry. Gary doesn't need a side hustle, as they call it nowadays. All right. So that's how Netflix describes it. I mean, there's not. I mean, look, you and I talked about this a little bit. This is a weird movie. Well, it's a very weird movie. Yeah. The thing, the thing is, um. Olivia Newton-John plays a uh, one of the nine muses, and at the very beginning of the movie, they have a a mural on a building, and it shows the nine muses. and And by the way, they're wearing the wrong uh, kind of dresses. They're wearing long dresses, but they look the dresses look very forties, you know. Um, and then they have weird uh, special effects and. They're outlined in light and stuff like this, and they come to life and they dance around, you know? The thing about this film for the listener, okay, so we gave you the plot. That's pretty much it. The stuff you see that happens in the beginning, that tells you the whole story. And then eventually they open the club. All right, boom, the end. I haven't given anything away, trust me. But the film is just jammed with these sequences. So there are two things I noticed. One is jammed with these musical dance sequences for no reason. It's just a bunch of dance sequences. And in that sense, it reminds me a little bit of Down to Earth, where it's just, I guess the writer of this must have seen Down to Earth and said, hey, they just had a wisp of a plot and a bunch of dance sequences. So can we. So yeah, they was, kind of did that. Well, it was trying to be a throwback, but it didn't succeed. Well, the, because... problem, the, the second thing I noticed is the problem is there's no explanation for anything. Stuff no. just happens. Like, it's just... He happens to be on the beach, and then she roller skates. That's another thing. The whole film is filled with people who are roller skating. Yeah. I, I just, like, I don't know what universe this took place in where everybody had roller skates all the time, but it's not our universe. It's a different universe. But um, but anyway, so, like, okay, so she she just. Well, she's made, supposed to be a muse. And, and get this, uh, one part in the movie, she starts to say her name, Terpsichore, but she interrupts it in the middle. She just gets Terp out. Um, and uh, Terpsichore was a muse of the dance and a muse of inspiration. So yeah. ostensibly, she comes down from Mount Parnassus, as they say in the movie, which which was a hangout of the muses, but mm -hmm. also um, Mount Olympus, where Zeus was, um, to uh, inspire this uh, guy named Sonny, and he's working for a commercial uh, art company that does commercial art, and he hates it. He doesn't like doing the commercial art. 
and the boss is obnoxious and all that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, he, he meets this Kara and like you say, he falls in love with her and she's, uh, she keeps appearing and disappearing throughout the movie. Uh, smiling all the time. There's a lot of smiling in the movie. Yeah. I uh, noticed that with the Gene Kelly, Olivia Newton, John dance sequence, there was a lot of smiling. But yeah, but but the, even the thing. Okay, so he works. And in then, the part. none of it, none of it actually. And then for some reason, they, the they don't explain. She hangs out in this uh, abandoned, uh, big building called, uh, um, you know, Pan Pacific Auditorium. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about the building, because I used to live over there, very close to it in the uh, Fairfax area, uh, district. Uh, and before they tore it down. Um, and uh, it had these iconic uh, towers, four or five of them coming up. Uh, there wasn't anybody inside of them. They were, they were just decorative towers that rose up. And they're very Art Deco looking. Yeah, it was supposed uh, to look like a ship. That was one of the things about the Pan Pacific. It was this great, uh, this this, they thought it was a really one of the best examples of this kind of art deco um, entertainment architecture, that stuff, you know, the, the places where people would go for, for music, right. But, but just know that just to finish that, that was a really important structure in LA art design. It, it was iconic yeah. and it was typical of Los Angeles, which has a terrible record with regard to preserving iconic buildings that they allowed that to be torn down. Well, it did catch fire. There was a major fire. Yeah, but they they still could have restored it. Yeah, there was, I, I would think that they would. I think what they did, because now, not to go too into the weeds, because for listeners not in the L.A. area, um, that area has become the place, Pan Pacific Park, where right they built something called the Grove, which Walt Disney Company has created. It's just a, an outdoor shopping mall, right? But they have preserved the architectural look or they've tried to show it in. No, actually, the Grove there. was, um, I think it was um, financed by Rick Caruso is running for the mayor of Los Angeles right now. He's the builder, but Walt Disney was the company behind it. Yeah. So it's Walt Disney's company. So but anyhow, Bruce, Disney recreated the building at their um, yeah. park you know, in Florida. Yeah, no, exactly. They've used it in the Disney, you know, that design. So it is, it is sad. But to come back, so... The interest to me again, what becomes really fascinating about it is like so. You mentioned that he worked Sonny, the character Sonny Michael Beck. He's the he's the lead guy. He's the the young love interest for Olivia Newton John, who I must give a shout out to a lovely Olivia Newton John. She looked amazing. God rest her soul. Yeah. Um. So he works at this, you know, uh, graphic art studio. It doesn't even matter. Like that, it has no effect on the story, the plot. It's Barely affects his character because the idea is he wants to be a real artist, but it's it's not like at any point in the film he chooses the film doesn't show him becoming a real artist. It just shows him opening up a dance club. So it's like it doesn't even affect that, like character development. So well, it's just an uh, odd movie. Well, and the thing is, he meets Gene Kelly, and because of Kira, uh, introduces him to the building and gets him to, um, you know. Uh, want to restore or renovate the building into what he wants, into a club. Uh, and then he offers to make 
Sonny a partner. Partner, he doesn't have any money or anything. I understand why he would offer him to be a partner. But that's a perfect example. Okay, just take this relationship. Gene Kelly's just sitting on a rock at the beach. And just, we don't even have to have an explanation of how, how, yeah, why is there? Like, he yeah. just, just goes up to a random guy playing the clarinet and just starts, you know, having a conversation. And then the guy invites him over to his house. I mean, it's just the story in the, this movie. Like, there's no explanation for why anybody does anything. It's just, we need to have him meet the Gene Kelly character. So he's just going to meet him on the beach and they'll become fast friends within seconds. And then they go, to Gene Kelly's house, and then he discovers Gene Kelly used to play the clarinet. He was an artist, too. And then he also discovers that uh, the Olivia New John character, Kira, had also met him because he sees a picture of her in one of his old albums. So one of the things, Gary, I thought about with this film, like what, if anything, were they trying to do, you know, whether this, I don't know, was drug-infused, who knows what how this happened. Is maybe the whole thought idea behind this film is just everything is magic. There's no explanation for it because people just meet each other, show up, go places. He goes to see the Gene Kelly character. Now they're buddies and they want to open up a club, like a guy you just meet on the beach. Yeah. Right? It doesn't I make mean, any sense. No. And then at one point, he decides to go back to the Pan Pacific. And he gets a ride, just happens to run into the guy whose van he painted. Again, another magical coincidence because he mentions that he made money painting people's vans and other kinds of things when he wanted to work out on his own. Then he happens to run into this guy. Does he get in the van and drive with the guy? No. He holds on to the back of the van with his roller blade, roller skates. Yeah. Which he wears, everybody wears all the time in 1980 Los Angeles for some weird reason. And he holds on to the back of the, and he rollerblades all the way from the beach to the Pan Pacific Theater. Now I'll go into the weird things about editing, but let me ask you, Gary, as someone who lived in 1980 Los Angeles, did everybody run around in roller skates all day long? Not at all. Okay. Just, just checking. So that's the other thing. You know, the only place that they showed where that was relevant was down to beach. People. Yeah. Yeah, but roller skate, they still do down to beach or they skateboard or whatever, you know, along the <clears throat> um, the roadway yeah. along the parallel to the beach. Yeah, it's fun. It's a it's a fun. Uh, but the okay, but that's another thing that was interesting. And this is not really and the I, the dance sequences. You know, they tried to emulate the nineteen uh, forties or whatever, uh, and then they interspersed that with. Um, rock and roll band and everything. The rock and roll band was especially bad. Well, before I go to that, I just want to say something about the editing and, and the beach and the locations. And it's some, it's a little thing. It's not something you would know unless you lived in Southern California. But it just, to me, was like indicative of how weird the rest of the film was that the editing would be disjointed. There's a sequence, Gary, so you'll remember this, where he, he sees Kara on the beach. He's sunny. Michael Beck's character sees Olivia and John on the beach. And then he goes to find her. And he magically goes from Pacific uh, Palisades Park down to somewhere on the Santa Monica Beach, down to some kind of like, it, it looked like a dock of some sort or like some kind of, you know, something that I didn't even recognize where it was, to someplace else that was a total fisherman's wharf kind of thing. 
all of these places are like just miles apart from each other. I mean, the closest is Pacific Palisades and Santa Monica Beach. But then you start getting like all these places where just the editing sequence, he would have been roller skating for miles finding her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and at one point, he takes off his roller skates, and he 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 takes off his roller skates, and he he goes over, or I should say, he goes and meets two women at the beach. This is another magical moment, and says to them, "I'm going to take your motorcycle. I'll bring it back." Yeah, and they, just, and and they, they let him go. Yeah. They just go, yeah, sure, go ahead, take my motorcycle. Like, none none of this stuff makes any sense. Like, nobody seemed to be writing the script going, okay, why would you, like, is there any reason? Like, even if you just had said those were his two friends. And they could have have crafted it where the person was a friend of his and trusted him. Exactly, a couple of friends. Like, oh, hey, Sonny, how you doing? Can I borrow your bike? They're strangers, and they just let them have, have their motorcycle. Totally random and weird. And did you notice that within the same sequence, it starts out beautiful, sunny Southern California day. By the time he ends the sequence, it's like there's like a hurricane happening. It's yeah. like it's completely yeah. overcast. It's ra- like about to. Ra- it's weird. That like epitomizes the whole film. Like it doesn't make sense in time, space, anything in reality. It just is like okay, we just need to get him to the other spot. Where he can meet Gene Kelly again by some crazy. And I, I frankly found the dance sequences to be boring. Well, that's now let's get to that. The dance sequences are just I, I, I mean, it's like if you wanted to make a caricature of the year 1980, which is the perfect you know tipping point between the 70s into the 80s. So really, it's all the ugliest part of the 70s and the ugliest part of the 80s combined in 1980. So yeah. it's like. There are guys with their shirts unbuttoned down to their belly buttons, yeah, and also right. people wearing neon spandex. Like it's the it's the worst combination of everything. Um, so yeah, the dance sequences are all. Everybody looked like they were like on solid gold. If anybody remembers that old TV show, like everyone's dressed like that. Everybody's roller skating again. I don't know why. There's all roller well, skating. Not, no, they, they had dance sequences without roller skates. But they, oh, no. they, if you remember, they had dance sequences where they have roller skaters and then people who aren't roller skating. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. They're all, they're all in the <clears> same <throat> sequence. They're mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's still weird. Like, they're just somehow, whoever did the film was like, we've got, listen, whatever you do, put roller skates in this. Like, what, like whatever you do in this scene, we've got to have roller skates. Bill, get some roller skates. Like, that's what it seems like. But, you know. I don't know. It's just, yeah, they were, I tried to like make a list of it, like what they did in these dance sequences. And I just, there's the one where he's like getting new clothes. Gene Kelly's getting new clothes. You remember that? Yeah, and that was weird. You know, I mean, he keeps coming out with more weird and weirder clothes, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and I felt, you know, it. you, you feel bad for Gene Kelly, who is as classy. Yeah, I thought Gene Kelly's fantastic. And it's, it's sad. I think this was his last movie, right? Yeah, yeah, he had to have been, I guess he must have been, let's see, I'm looking at his age here. So, 70, 68 when the film came out. So, which is interesting, which you think nowadays, that's not super old uh, for, for like, entertainers. I mean, it's, I get it, it's old, but it's, you know, Mick Jagger's almost 80, and he's running all around the stage all the time. Yeah. So, you know, people are aging differently now. But obviously in 1980s. Well, they made Gene Kelly look young. I mean, they had, he had dark brown hair and all that, you know. Yeah, but it was, but again, he, you could see he wasn't moving the way the Gene Kelly that was. Oh, no, no. So that's, <laughs> that's what I felt a little sad about. Yeah. It would have been nice to see a, a really nimble Gene Kelly. Um, 
But, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's his last film. And it didn't do well. I mean, it was not well received at the box office. Let's just say that. Well, I'm sure the word word got on, out on it that it was ridiculous, you know. Let's, let's talk about some other ridiculous. It, what was with the animation? Why why was there animation? Yeah, that anima- they tried to be Disney with that animation. It looked a little bit like uh, Beauty and the Beast or a little bit like. Um, well, yeah, that would have been after. Like, So what would have been their example of that era? I, I don't know. The. The Rescuers was that around that time? I I don't know. There was something. Well, they, whatever. Whatever they, they was trying going to make it look. It looked very Disney, and then and then it it has them turned into fish. You know, it reminded me of the uh, Disney film about the, the the fish. You remember? Oh, Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. It, it looked a little bit like that. Uh, just bizarre. Well, I'm gonna. I'm looking at this. The Rescuers came out in 1977, so maybe that was their their inspiration for that because it had that very 1970s Disney, which is not. I mean, Disney is doing some. I'm not a fan of a lot of the Disney stuff, but the animation, the art quality is amazing, and uh, it has definitely improved since the 70s. It was at its great height in the 30s and 40s, and even the 50s, and then it kind of fell off a little bit. Um, so yeah, there's Disney animation. Made great movies early on, you know. Yeah, like, early on, but then yeah. they lost their way a little bit, and the artwork is certainly good now. But that's weird. So there's there's animation sequences, there's special effects in this movie that look like it was somebody like they just like went to like a budget special effects place. Yeah, I mean, this is 1980. It's not like you can say, well, it's 1980. Star Wars came out in 1977. It's not like you didn't have people who could do really good special effects at the time. Yeah, yeah. It's just this really weird kind of, again, it's kind of electric neon special effect, very cheap, you know, streaks of color that happened behind it. Yeah, when they, when they had the muses go up to uh, the sky and presumably go back to Mount Parnassus, they just had a streak of light. It was cheesy. It wasn't yeah. as good as Star Trek. You know, yeah, they yeah, no, just, somebody and transform to a planet or whatever. Yeah, that was like 12 years, 13 years earlier, too. So, yeah, yeah they're, they're using bargain basement special effects. They have animation for no reason. There's just like, you know, it's an hour and a half film, roughly. There's got to be like 45 minutes to 50 to six, between 45 and 60 minutes of just dance sequences. It's just the strangest film. I, when I finished the movie, I got the impression I felt like I had just watched an old episode of a weird TV show. Like it was just strange and nothing made yeah. sense. And they just needed to get you from point A to point B. It's like if you wanted to do a bad caricature of early musicals, this would what be what you would come up with. Yeah. Or, or even of like a caricature of like, again, the early eighties, late seventies, like, that kind of feel, you know. Like I mean, Olivia Newton-John was so great in the movie Grease, and then, you know, she tried she tried in this movie, but it, it just didn't come through. Well, she is such beauty and charisma that it's like, you know, she transcends it. It didn't affect her. I mean, the, the album for the movie was a big hit. You know, it made uh, yeah, because they, a lot of hits, you know. They had that group, Electric Light Orchestra, who mm-hmm. did, did the... Uh, other music in the, in the thing, and some of their songs were hits. Yeah, looking here, uh, Magic was number one. It had a number one hit with that. Uh, Xanadu was number eight. Uh, All Over the World was 13. You know, so they had pretty big hits, you know. 
Yeah, musically. Yeah. yeah, musically. Yeah, no, not as a movie, of course. In fact, their movie, that movie along with Can't Stop the Music, which I think had the village people in it, inspired the Golden Raspberry Awards, the Razzies, for Worst Film of the Year. Because oh, is that right? So bad. Yeah, because a guy saw a double feature of Xanadu and Can't Stop the Music, which I could just imagine. At least it would be funny. I mean, the, the good thing about Xanadu is it's just, it's not like it hurts your feelings. It's just, it's pretty colors and it's all bright. It just makes no sense. And like, I guess if you were at a drive-in movie theater in 1980, it probably would just be like. Oh. I, I I think even then you wouldn't like it. I mean, it's, no, no, it's no. Just... I'm not. I'm not saying you'd like it. I'm saying it's not as it's it's not. It wouldn't make you angry or ruin your night. You would just be like, "What the heck did I just see?" Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so, um, it's a. It's, it's got to rank as one of the worst musicals ever done in my book uh, for film. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and normally we, we try to focus on classical themes on this. So, Gary, do you have any classical commentary? Because almost well, nothing. You know, like, like Zeus, they, Zeus they does had... show up. I was interested. I found that interesting. Zeus does show up. And Hera, who never gets named, of course, I guess because they don't feel like they name the goddesses. But Zeus shows up and Hera show, uh, shows up as well. Yeah, but only as voiceovers. You don't see yeah. them. Yeah, no, but it's interesting they're even mentioned in there, which I thought yeah. was interesting. <clears throat> so. And, uh, and, and, you know, he wants to be with her. He loves her. And, but Zeus is not, uh, wants her to come back, you know, and all that. And they have that, that exchange and everything. But, and, and again, that's, you know, that's giving you know, it more so credit. There's a, a nod to classical Greek mythology, but a very uh, short nod. In my yeah, opinion. a very short nod indeed. All right. And on that note, Gary, I think we've said as we've said more in this podcast than was actually contained in the movie. I so, think so. let's uh, let's do our normal ranking, our number of shields. How many shields would you give Xanadu? I'd How give it a one. One shield. I'm with you. I'm, I might want to just give it a shield and a half for our, my, uh, you know, Olivia Newton-John. It's just Beautiful Olivia, so I'll give her. A no, I couldn't recommend field. anybody to see this film. Yeah, I'll, I, if you, I don't know if you just want to look at Olivia Newton John, maybe, but um, yeah, that's about it. So with that, let me uh, give a big thank you to Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. And thank you to all of you who are listening. This has been the 34th Circe Salon, the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. We'll be back again very soon. Thank you and God bless.